one here tonight that got your attention now? Can you hear me? <laughs> Let Keith get adjusted. I want to welcome everyone here this evening. I want to take just a minute and introduce our guest speaker this evening. Our guest speaker is our brother Ralph Bryant from League City. Uh, I don't know that I get the pleasure of introducing Ralph every year, but a lot of years. And uh, I try to not repeat all the same stuff, but Ralph and I go all the way back to Lake Jackson, Texas. Worshipped at the congregation at 402 Centerway with lots of good folks that helped try to raise us as best they could. And you can determine the outcome based on what you see. Um, Ralph's mom and dad lived down the street from my mom and dad. And his mother was a very special lady in our congregation and uh, helped my mom and other ladies with teaching of young children and knitting and lots of other things and a very sweet lady that uh, raised Ralph to be a fine Christian young man just like my mother tried to do. Um, Ralph has been the, the minister at uh, Alvin and worked for a long time with us at Camp Bandina and wrote our educational material and done a lot of things with young people. He's done a great deal of mission work in Dominica uh, he has three daughters, uh, Shelley, uh, Stacy, Shelley, and Bethany. And Shelley's in Singapore for a many number of years, 22 years, and you visit there periodically. And uh, the best thing about Ralph is that Ralph wants to share God's word with people that want to hear God's word. And he'll go far and near to do that. And that's why we love Ralph so much. And he has a way of speaking to folks in a, in a manner that's challenging that makes you stop and think. And uh, I've listened to Ralph teach and preach many times, and he never uh, lets us down there. So we're glad that he's here. We're, we'll be blessed uh, to sit at his feet and study God's Word together, and let's have a moment of prayer before we ask Ralph to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can be gathered together this evening. We are thankful for your word. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for his blood that was sacrificed on the cross at Calvary for our sins. We're thankful for the ability that we have to be gathered together as your family and your children and this time that we have to study your word. We're thankful for Ralph and for Joe and for our brothers and sisters at League City. We're thankful that they were willing to let Ralph uh, drive over here to this side of town this evening to speak to us. We pray that you bless Ralph as he comes and goes and give him safe passage back to his home. We pray also that you be with Ralph as he speaks to us this evening, that he'll share your word with us, that he'll help us to grow and deepen our faith as we learn more about you and your son. Father, we pray for guidance as we worship in a little while, that we will worship you in right ways in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray for forgiveness for the things that we do that are wrong. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Ralph? I suppose you can tell from those things that Steve said that he really believes all that stuff. And I've heard that love covers a multitude of sins. And we've both agreed that we won't share all of those multitude of sins that we know about each other. And it's a, it's a great joy to see People I love. It's, it always amazes me when I come out here. reminds me of how many great relationships I have at this congregation. Um, some 50, 60 years uh, depth with Steve and, and his family. And 
And then I see the little bubbly teenage girl that came to my Bible class at Bandina years ago, and she's still a bubbly teenage girl in my mind, but she's got college girls of her own now, and Tracy. And, uh, and I guess David had something to do with all that. You know, and uh, and I really appreciate a lot of you here. I see Clay and his bride, and and it makes me feel warm to be here. It always makes me feel warm to enjoy coming back to a place where somebody's heard me and they allow me to come back a second time. Uh, pleases me. And David Krejci and I have got a special relationship. Lots of, lots of years of loving each other and loving his daddy particularly. If, if I ever get to be who I want to be, it'll be his daddy. Uh, not being his father, but being who his father is. I've already got enough ugly children. I don't need David, but but uh, I love seeing Dave and seeing him loving his kids and raising them to honor God too. Uh, actually, I guess I'll tell this. I moved to Alvin, and the guy that I followed was a legend in the mind of all the kids that I was trying to minister to, and they really were, were being tough on me. They they kept telling me this isn't the way he did that. And I say, I'm not him. And I moved there in November. I went to camp for the first time with the kids in June. And when I got to camp, I was teaching all the older kids. And by the end of that week, they were calling my name every time I stood up. And, and we made a fast friendship. They would drive from Angleton to hear me teach Bible class. I thought they were coming to hear me. I found out it was the pretty girls that, in the Bible class. But... Um, Honest to goodness, the kids from Alvin got back home from camp and they said I had changed. But it was a perception that the kids at camp had, had of me that changed and helped my ministry. I don't know if I'd have succeeded in Alvin if it hadn't been for guys like, like David Krejci. Um, if you can imagine, he was a junior in high school. So that's been three, three four years ago now. <laughs> and I want to uh, call your attention to my travel mate, uh, Travis Hamilton is back here. He's uh, sitting on the next to the back row. He gets here early so he can sit on the back row. Uh, Travis tells people he's my bodyguard. Um, stand up, Travis. Stand up. See how big he is? But you don't want to cross this man. He's tough. Um, I cherish my relationship with him. He and I fell in love with each other nearly 30 years ago, and and uh, shared lots and lots of miles and lots of smiles. This date a year ago, his bride of 65 years passed away from a heart problem. And I w I've been worrying about him all day today because it's been a year. And he'll never get over the loss of his wife. And yet, still faithful. Still continues to do all that he knows how to do. Uh, VBS last week, he was up at 6 o'clock in the morning emptying trash out of all the classrooms, nobody knows that except one or two of us. That's the kind of man Travis is. The same day that he lost his wife, ten hours later, his son passed away, his son and namesake. So July 8th is a tough day in Travis's life. I hope you'll greet him and, and uh, show him some respect tonight. How many of you are familiar with uh, the little children's book, Are You My Mother? Two or three, five, ten? Fifteen of you. Uh, P.D. Eastman wrote the book, and it's about the the mom decides it's okay to leave the egg and looking for food, and wanders around the countryside, and and the egg hatches, and wonders who its mother is, and starts looking around, and talks to the cow, and talks to the horse, and talks to the dog, and talks to all the animals in the neighborhood, and 
None of them are his mother, and he goes to the car, and he figures out that's not his mother, and he winds up talking to the, the steam engine, the steam shovel, and when it snorts, he calls it a snort, and about the time it looks like his demise, well, the steam shovel picks him up, puts him back in his nest just as his mom flies in, and they're united, and he tells all about his adventure, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a cute little story. Kids love that story. You might be wondering why I started tonight with the story of who's my mother. Well, we've been studying through the book of Galatians in League City for a while, and I got to chapter 4, and Paul tells a story in chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Is this thing cutting out from time to time? It sounds like it to me, no? Okay, maybe it's ringing in my ears. Um, he tells a story about two mothers, and he's trying to illustrate two different paths, the paths that people try to take in order to find salvation, in order to find themselves where they want to be at the end of their lives. And it's a familiar story to those that grew up knowing uh, the Old Testament scriptures. It's about Hagar and Sarah and their sons Ishmael and, and Isaac, respectively. And he draws from this story uh, an allegory of truths about a Christian's relationship to the law of Moses. Uh, the events that are that are described here actually happen. These are this is a very real story, historical situation, not something that he made up. But Paul finds in this the allegory of of, of some deeper meaning that he wants to be sure that we apply uh, to what he's been trying to teach the Galatian Christians. Uh, perhaps the most famous allegory in the English language uh, is The Pilgrim's Progress. Y'all familiar with that book? A lot of us had to read it at one time or another in school. The Christian trying to find his way uh, from the city of destruction. And uh, Bunyan wrote the book and became famous. Uh, I guess it's considered a classic. I brought a copy of my favorite allegory. How many of y'all are familiar with Hind's Feet on High Places? Well, if you haven't read this book, you need to pick it up. It's by Hannah Hennard, and the title comes from a passage in Habakkuk chapter 3, Hind's Feet on High Places. And the story is about a girl whose name is Much Afraid, and about her journey wanting to serve the master on the high places. And I've never had anybody who read that book who said, oh, that's somebody else. It's always, you'll find yourself in the character Much Afraid. It is an exhilarating story. Uh, uh, that helps you to, to reflect on who you are and what your place is uh, in service to the Master. So allegories, while they may be cute little stories, can really impact you if you will allow them. And, and I would encourage you to pick that book up and to read it. Now, today let's approach our text and see if we can enter into some discussion about doing uh, three things. We're going to try to explain the Old Testament story. We're going to look at the allegory that we find here in, in Paul's uh, writings, and then we're going to try to make some, some applications for us in our contemporary lives today. Let's turn to um, verses 21 down through 23 is what we will read first. And I'm reading from the um, English Standard Version. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born 
through the promise. The story starts talking about what is written actually in Genesis, beginning in chapter uh, 12, goes all the way through 21. You can read that whole story. You may be familiar with, with all of the promise. Um, Abraham's a prosperous man, and, and he's in Ur of the Chaldees, and the Lord tells him to go. He's going to take him to a land that he'll show him sometime later, and he tells him that uh, he's to, to take his wife and that ultimately he's going to have descendants that are going to be a great nation, that they are going to uh, have a lot, a lot, a lot of descendants. And that's pretty encouraging considering the fact that he's 75 years old at that point and she is 65 years old and at that point they have no children. Can you imagine being told that you're at 75 and 65 you're going to be the, the, the father of a great nation? might sound a little bit beyond what you might normally think. In the course of time, of course, we know that they arrived in Canaan, the land that God had promised them. Ten years has passed, and, and still they have no son. Not even one son, much less a whole parcel of descendants by this time. And I expect that uh, you can imagine now Sarah, pushing 75 years old, might think, my biological clock is beginning to tick. In fact, you might think she thinks it's already sprung. So you're 75 years old, and, and you don't have a child, and so she decides that she's going to suggest to Abraham that he take her handmaiden, Hagar, and bear a child through Hagar that they will claim as their own. And apparently that was a pretty common practice in that day and time. If, if your slave had had a child, then that was your child. So she, they were going to claim this child as their own. And I think she had good motives. I think she really was trying to help God. I think she was trying to help fulfill a promise that she wanted to be true. She believed it could be true. And yet she decided God may need a little bit of help because maybe after these 10 years and she still doesn't have a child, um, he needs some help. You ever try to help God? Did you ever get to the place where you thought something you thought was going to happen should happen, should have already happened? You knew it was supposed to happen and it hadn't happened yet, and you're going to help God. How'd that work out for you? Most of the time it makes things worse, doesn't it? I mean, this very sound human reasoning. She's, she's, she's made a perfectly human conclusion. I'm not likely to have too many kids. And yet, you can't help God out. We know that, that God doesn't need our help, and every time we try to help him, um, we end up messing up his plan or making it more difficult for his plan to be done in our own time. We need to trust him. We need to make sure that we're not making things worse and harder for him, but that we trust him, and in his good time, he will do what needs to be done. Genesis 16, uh, we see that some animosity grows between these two moms. Sarah, who has no child, and Hagar, who is her servant, who has a child that apparently is being doted on by daddy. How's that going to work out, ladies? We can kind of figure out that there might be a little bit of animosity that would grow between these two women, could we not? And then, another 14 years 
And we find Abraham now 99 and Sarah 89. And the, the scripture says his body is as good as dead. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and it would be likely that her womb didn't have much of a chance to, to, to produce a child at this point in time. It's permanently shut. Not a chance at all that they will ever have a child together. And at that precise point, God says, about a year from now, you're going to have a child. And she laughed. I guess I would too. So when you think all hope is gone, if God made a promise, he's still going to keep his promise. It doesn't matter. He, he is completely in control. We know that about a year later, the child was born as was promised. And if Paul were summarizing verses 22 and 23, I think he would say there is one father, it is Abraham. You have two mothers, Hagar and Sarah. You have two corresponding sons, Ishmael and Isaac. The firstborn is, is born the ordinary way, by the flesh. The second is born by God's intervention. The first is born by compromise. The second is born by promise. And in this sense, the firstborn was by works, trying to solve things on your own, trying to get to where you think you need to be by your own strength, by your own wisdom. And then the second is by the promise of God. And so you can see that Paul has now just about got you set up to be able to see the two paths that people take to try to find uh, salvation. Now let's look at verses 24 through 27 now in chapter uh, 4. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She, is, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery, slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above, above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are uh, not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of the one who has a husband. The easiest way for us to, to sort this out is to start where Paul starts. There are these two women, literal people, and, and they are here doing what needs to be done and in, in normal fashion. Paul looks at them and says, this is, there's a story here that we can apply to the law of Moses. And Sarah represents grace, while Hagar, Hagar represents uh, the law. And God alone is the one that we need to trust. We can't do things on our own. Our own efforts never bear out what we need in life. And so it is by faith that Isaac comes and and uh, we see the other option is Ishmael is uh, the way of works. When you boil it all down, Paul is saying that Sarah is the line of faith. And Hagar is the line of law-keeping, works, doing things to earn your salvation. And all of humanity is on one of those two paths. There is no other path to choose. It's either you're trying to earn what you think you deserve, what you desire, or you trust in the promises of God, and he will pro provide for you the things that you really do need and that you cannot do uh, for yourself. There is no third line. You can't, you can't make a third way. So it is either one of these, and, and those who follow Hagar are the people who believe that, that religion and, and good works and self-effort are going to satisfy God. 
that if you're just religious enough, and if you're good enough, and if you're if you uh, can keep yourself uh, moving forward, that that you are the one that's going to provide the gain. But you'll never be able to gain salvation and forgiveness and peace that is in heaven. Those things come only through through for those people who follow after the path of Sarah, the path of promise, and the path of of grace. Salvation comes by grace grace through faith. The reference here to Mount Sinai, of course, points back to the giving of the law of Moses um, and the the earthly Jerusalem is the Jerusalem that you would be finding there in they would know about it. It's the earthly Jerusalem of that of that time. And and it's the headquarters for for Judaism of that day. It's dependence upon the law. Uh, they thought that was how you found salvation is keeping that law very meticulously. And those people are, by this standard, enslaved by the law. They are trapped. The demands of the law can never be met by your efforts. They can never be reached. There's only one who was ever perfect. It is Jesus. The women who gave birth here, Hagar produces the son, the slave son, and, and Sarah, of course, uh, produces the child of, of freedom. Ishmael represents the tyranny of the law, the burden of the law, and Isaac represents the, the freedom that is found in the gospel. It reveals to us that, that our God is good, that he would offer himself up on our behalf, provide his son on a cross and allow him to be killed so that we could be washed free by his blood, that he would raise him from the grave to offer us hope and the salvation that, it, that is through this line is true. And it is freedom. You're not under the law. You're not under that yoke anymore. It is the free son, Isaac, who stands for the one who has been freed from the tyranny of the law and is free to serve God the way he wants to be served through grace. In verses 26 and 27, uh, we're looking here um, at this, this reference to, to the rejoice. They're, they're pointing to a day when, when the barren woman, Sarah, is going to rejoice because she's going to outnumber the one who already has a husband. doesn't make sense by our own common uh, thinking, our, 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 our own logic, but ultimately the law is being pointed out is not able to produce what needs to be produced. We could summarize this segment by saying that there is one man, Abraham, he has two sons by two mothers. The two mothers represent the two covenants. One is the law, the other is grace. One comes from the earth, the other comes from heaven. The law produces bondage, but grace is produced by freedom. It produces our freedom. And the difference between the two is religion and Christianity. Religion and following Jesus Christ. From Abraham come two very different streams. And all of humanity is in one of those two streams, going in one of two directions. The work, the work stream of humanity is, would be Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, the law, earthly Jerusalem, bondage, and death. The other stream of faith is Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Mount Zion, the gospel, grace, heavenly Jerusalem, freedom, and ultimately eternal life. Now, I want you to take note 
that Abraham stands as the head of both lines. That's why it's not enough to be a descendant of Abraham. Because everybody that's searching for salvation is, is in effect a descendant of Abraham. So the important question isn't, is Abraham your father? The important question is, who's your mother? That's what we're looking at tonight. Who's your mother? Now, uh, trying to make some, some contemporary application along these lines. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 28, down through uh, the end of the chapter. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at the right time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. The, the point that we need to make from this, Paul returns back to the story in, in the Genesis account. And what he finds is, is Ishmael is mistreating his little brother. If you go back and you see, um, Isaac is, is celebrating weaning. Usually at, at about three years old, the child was weaned, and it was a time of, it was kind of a marking of passage, so they're having a festival. They're, they're celebrating the fact that he is being weaned. He's getting to be a big boy. Well, now his brother's 17 years old, and little brother is in the limelight. And I've heard tell that sometimes big brothers pick on little brothers when they don't like what's going on. I've heard of that. Is that true, David? <clears throat> I've got little brothers. I can validate that. Okay? So here we are. This, this boy is, is abusing his little brother, and, and uh, it, it's not well received. Who's the mother of the little boy? Sarah is the mother of the little boy. Has she been fond of the big boy all along? Not particularly. Sure doesn't like his mom very much. So now she sees her little boy being picked on by a big boy. And guess what mama says? Get him out of here. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that dads who, who have loved and recognized this boy as his own flesh and blood? Raised him up, he's 17 years old, and you may have some hopes and dreams for him. And mom says, get that child out of my presence. Sometimes by 17, we're hoping that they'll soon leave and go to college, but it's not exactly the same as being told you've got to get the kid out of here. And, and, and I expect this was a heartbreaking time for Abraham. But he sent Hagar and Ishmael away because that's what God told him to do. He heard it from his wife. He probably had to make some decisions and, and weigh his relationship with Sarah. And I think this is a real struggle that went on in their life. I think it would have been hard to do. 
But when Sarah said this, God was in agreement with Sarah. So what? I believe Paul wants us to understand at least three things from this setting. First of all, he wants us to understand that we as Christians, like Isaac, are the children of promise. And therefore, we are free from the law. And isn't that wonderful to be, to be not under the bondage of the law, but under the grace of Christ and free to serve him the way we want to serve him and the way he wants us to serve him? Um, someone says, uh, love God and do what you want. And we think... Well, if you love God, you're going to do what pleases God, and that means you're doing what you want. So that's not a bad saying. Love God and do what you want, because what you want is to please God if you love Him. So we get as free children to serve God according to His will. But the person who is under the law doesn't have that freedom. Grace sets us free to, to live by faith. But the people that are under the law and trying to do the things by their own strength, their own wisdom, their own efforts, are just going to be frustrated. And I believe Paul wants us to understand, secondly, that Christians like Isaac should expect persecution. That there's going to be times when those that are under bondage to the works don't like what we're doing, what we're preaching. They will reject the things that we say. They will reject us as God's people. Uh, there are folks who are going to mistreat us, like the older brother is mistreating the little brother uh, in this story. Uh, the, the true church, the church that is preaching freedom in Christ, is going to be mistreated. And, and the greatest enemy of the faith today really is from those who are religious. The world doesn't really threaten us very much. They're, they're not concerned about us much at all. But those that think they know something about religion and about God, they want to be sure that we are not doing what, what we say is true because they don't like what we're doing. And, and Isaac being mocked and persecuted by Ishmael is, I think, a, a point of, of recognition. We're going to be persecuted if we tell the truth. If we stand up and say the truth, then we're going to be hated. Um, nobody hates grace more than a guy's trying to work his way to heaven. They don't like that idea. I'm going to do this by my own strength, and I don't like you telling me I don't have to, or that there's some other way than I've been taught. And so nominal Christians sometimes put the biggest burden on us. The people that say that they're Christians, that they're following Jesus after a fashion, but they're not really following what God has said. And we get rebuked by them. Now, the descendants of Hagar are always threatened by the descendants of Sarah. Sarah's children live by faith. They live by grace. They are free. The children of Hagar are children of the law. They are always under bondage. And that's why so many religious people are lost. Because they're bound up under that law. They think they have to earn their way to salvation and there's just nothing they can do. They are so frustrated because it's never enough. And they know it's not enough. Even though they think, if I'll just be a little better, I'll work a little harder, I'll be a little better self-controlled, Somehow or another, I'm going to do enough, and it's going to please God. And the end result for all of them is failure. You cannot do enough to please God because you've got to get rid of that sin. The sin that you've committed, even if it's only one or two, it's still too many because God is pure and He will not allow impurity into His presence. And so we need to be careful about 
um, this kind of a, of a stand. Sometimes the biggest opposition we face is because we claim to be the ones preaching the truth. We believe that we are preaching the pure doctrine of Christ. And we do it in the name of, of Jesus. People don't like that. Um, they oppose this kind of salvation through Jesus Christ because they don't want it to be the only way. They oppose us because we call wrong, wrong, and right, right, and we don't substitute for the other. There are lots of folks who would like to say it's okay to do this under this circumstance and to call something that's wrong, right. And it's just not so. We see a lot of that going on right now. It's amazing to me how many posts I've seen, um, especially in the social media, trying to justify the same-sex marriage and saying that God would find that okay. And, and it's just not okay, no matter what anybody says. And so we need to be sure that, just like it started with Ishmael, it's going to continue today. And finally, Paul wants us to understand that we as Christians should not compromise to the bondage of works. Sometimes we're tempted because we want to be liked by everybody. We want to be appreciated by everybody. We want to fit in with everybody. And so we don't want to say anything that anybody feels like we're pushing them away or, or putting them in a bad situation. It just doesn't feel right to us to say something that makes it look like we think we know something. It's not us that's going to save us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. But we can't compromise the truth. And, and it doesn't matter whether everybody likes hearing what, what's going on. In this story, Sarah told Abraham, you've got to get rid of this troublesome child. And God said, that is right. We can't tolerate wrong among us and say that's okay with God. If somebody's teaching here something that's wrong before God, it needs to be taken care of. It needs to not be allowed to permeate. It needs. Can you imagine what would have happened if Ishmael had been allowed to stay in that camp? We can't let wrong dwell among us and think it's okay with God. We have to preach the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Sarah knew what she was doing and God backed her on this thing. Even in, in our human minds, we, we think, how in the world could you send your baby away or somebody else's baby away? This husband that I love, that's his boy. How can I send him away? But she was endorsed by God. And God wants us to preserve the promise at all costs. The promise is freedom in Jesus Christ. We can't earn our way to salvation. We can't find some other way to gain the place that we want to gain by the things that we do and the things that we think will be pleasing to him. We can't just assume that it's okay to present something to him in worship that he doesn't accept in Scripture. We can't come in here and say, well, we're just going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this and we're going to jump through hoops and, and that's worship because we all feel that. We can't present something to God. We can't assume that something is okay just because maybe it makes us feel good. There are so many other doctrines that are important. We need to be sure that we're standing on the truth. One man, one woman for life. Those kind of things need to be stood for. doesn't mean you have to be ugly to somebody. doesn't mean you have to browbeat anybody, but you have to teach the truth. And if they are going to, to stand and proclaim, then we have to distance ourselves from them. We stand for these truths 
even if it costs us our popularity, even if it costs us relationships. I mean, think about this relationship that's cost in the story in Genesis and that Paul recounts here in, in Galatians chapter 4. There may be somebody that you care about a great deal that's not going to accept the truth. You may have to distance yourself from somebody like that, but that's part of honoring God, keeping His promise. He's, he's our Father. He has, re, he has adopted us. He has redeemed us, forgiven us. He's empowered us. He's commissioned us. He wants us to serve Him. He wants us to stand for what's right. So if that's all true, and you can read it for yourself and determine whether or not you believe it's true, the question for tonight is, who is your mother? Are you following after Hagar and thinking that if you could just do a little more, if you could just say a little purer, you could just, by your own self-effort, honor God, that that's how you're going to reach heaven? Are you the child of Sarah, who says, I have nothing to offer you but my service. I recognize there is nothing I can do to take away the things that are keeping me from you, but that you want to redeem me in the blood of Jesus Christ, and so I surrender myself to your will. I don't want to be bound by the law. I don't want that burden, that anchor around my neck. I want to be free in Jesus Christ to honor and to serve him. I've stayed too long. Okay, well, that's where I'm going to quit. All right? You got questions? I'll be happy to try to answer them. If not, Eddie's here. <laughs> Thank you all. I appreciate it.